Welcome in to Real Pod Wednesdays on the first Wednesday of February here, which a few years ago would have been a really big news day for Ohio State football recruiting because today is National Signing Day. However, Ohio State basically signed almost its entire class in December during the you know quote unquote early signing day. So not a whole lot of news here to talk about today, Colin, but we are going to dive in to taking a closer look at Ohio State's recruiting class of 2021. Well, when you say not a whole lot of news, you literally mean zero news <laughs> because that's really what it is. We're not expecting any news today, which, you know, we're we, we thought about recording this on Wednesday just in case something popped, but we decided to to give it a go on Tuesday, which I will say this this intro is going to be great because inevitably something's going to happen and we're going to sound incredibly um, dumb. <laughs> or this will just never see the light of day and we'll be re-recording this intro tomorrow if we mm, sound it's really dumb. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. But yeah, no, we wanted to dive in on the freshman class of 2021 because I don't know if we've done like a full deep dive on them. And it's an interesting class um, that, you know, it's sort of built it's sort of built the way that it feels like Ryan day wants to build his classes. Like this to me just feels like it has a Ryan day stamp all over it, which is you just lock down the best Ohio guys. You go out, you, you build long-term relationships with guys around the country. You get the quarterback early and then you, you, you land, you, you close on those guys, those national, those national recruits. And I think that that was the thing a few years ago that we wondered whether Ryan day would do. And like, this is just a strategy. This is, this is what it feels like it'll be for the rest of time. As long as Ryan day is here, um, which is, you get the Jack Sawyers of the world, the Mike Halls of the world, the Ben Crispins of the world, and you use them to to recruit the other guys, and then you put together a class that is right now the number two class in the country. And it will be the number two class in the country because mm-hmm. even if Ohio State lands uh, JT Tuomolowell whenever he decides to sign, which you know sounds like it will be April or May, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, uh, but – it will be the number two class. Nobody's going to catch Ohio State for number two. Ohio State's not going to catch Alabama for number one. Alabama has built too big a lead at this point, but even if Ohio State lands to a Molowal, that's not going to change that. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, to, to have the number two class in the country, this class is absolutely capable of be of eventually becoming the best recruiting class of 2021, and I think it's a really solid class from top to bottom. Like you said, I mean, first and foremost – locking down the state of Ohio and getting Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall and Reed Carrico and Jaden Ballard and, and Ben Chrisman and Jalen Johnson, getting getting all these guys from the state of Ohio. Really, Ohio State got who it wanted in, in the state of Ohio in this class. The guys who Ohio State wanted to keep in the state in this class, by and large, Ohio State got everyone it, it wanted. And then – extending out nationally, it goes and gets a Mecca Abuka. It goes and gets Donovan Jackson. It goes and gets Travion Henderson. It goes and gets Kyle McCord. It, it, there's just a lot of really good football players in this class. I think, you know, when I, when I think back to, you know, even, even last year's class in 2020, which I thought was a really good class too, but you know, there were, there was a good amount of freestyle guys kind of rounding out that class. And that doesn't mean those guys aren't going to be good players, but there, there was a bigger chunk of guys who, you know, weren't as highly, highly ranked in that class. 
this class, there's basically none of that. I mean, there's three guys in this class who are freestyle recruits, and one of those is a punter. And the other two, you know, Sam Hart and Jalen Johnson, they're pretty highly rated freestyle guys who I think have a definite chance of being guys who really outperform their ranking. So I just think from top to bottom, this class is really solid. And, 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 and there's not really any you know big holes in it either. Like you, you definitely would like to land to a Molo Island. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that would be a huge cherry on top of this class. But there isn't any one area where I look at this class and go, man, Ohio State really missed on this guy or, or it really missed on this position. I think by and large, this class you know, meets all of Ohio State's needs and is bringing in players at every single position group who have a chance to be really good. If you want to nitpick, you can you can certainly say that five-star offensive tackle that they so desperately wanted, they didn't get. And, you know, that was J.C. Latham, it seemed like, at a point, and then it seemed like it would be Tristan Lee. Um, and, and neither of those guys are Buckeyes. And, you know, that's why they ended up with Zen. Is it Michalski or Maholski? I think it's Mahalski, but I think you make a good point about the depth because I think that that's the most, you know, that's one of the most impressive parts of, of this class to me is that you have the top line guys, you have five, five stars in the class, but even if you just, if you, if you just dig into those bottom, you know, four recruits. So everybody outside of the bottom four are top 200 overall recruits in the country. The, the bottom four are, Zen, we're going to go, we're, he's going to go first name basis on this podcast because I don't want to upset him and his family. Um, you have him who is just a complete late riser. And he's the kind of guy who, if you want to say, you know, this is the kind of lottery ticket that that's, that's worth taking a flyer on. Like he's that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who gained, gained a bunch of attention for what he did as a senior, put on a put on a lot of weight and, and, and gruesome inches. And like, that's the kind of flyer that you take as an offensive lineman. Um, you have Sam Hart, a three-star tight end. It's not like Ohio state uses its tight ends in a way that you need a five-star, like having Jeremy record is awesome, but you can win with the Luke Farrells of the world. And that's what to me, uh, Sam Hart can be. And Jalen Johnson, like Jalen Johnson is the kind of guy who, you know, he's essentially, you, you, you might look at Jalen Johnson and say that, that he's the biggest recruiter among all the commits. And if those guys are your bottom three, along with Jesse Murko, who's the punter, like that, that is, that is just, that is just really quality depth. I have been informed by Zach, that it is Mahalski. Oh, so Zen Mahalski is how it's pronounced, but, but yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said and, you know, the other side of that is I think it's really so eye popping about this class is out of the, 21 guys that they have signed 17 of them are ranked in the top 200 i mean that that's really impressive by ohio state to just consistently land so many highly ranked players and it, and it what it tells you is that you know, ohio state didn't have to reach much in this class ohio state didn't have to settle for this class because even like you said even the guys you said i i really don't view any of those guys is guys that Ohio State was just settling for because it missed out on other people. I think really across the board, you know, Ohio State got guys that it really wanted every position. And, and that's why Ohio State's not signing anybody today because usually in, in this era of the early signing period, most of the time, if you're signing a guy in February, it's because you, you lost somebody to the draft you didn't expect to lose, or it's because you you didn't sign somebody you thought you were going to sign in December 
and you still have a hole that you have to fill in February. So that's a big reason why Ohio State is not being active here in this February signing day. And it's because Ohio State already filled its holes in December. Can I just like, let me just contextualize this depth because I think that I think it's worth doing. I was just running through some of Urban Meyer's, you know, earlier classes at Ohio State. So, like we said, Ohio State has four commitments that are outside of the top 200. Ohio State in the 2014 class had 10. In 2015, they had 16. In 2016, they had 10. And like these are really highly rated Urban Meyer classes that were not even close to as deep as what Ryan Day is doing right now. And I think that that's the most impressive part about where Ohio State is and where Ryan Day has this program because it just feels like, yes, they lose Justin Fields. Yes, there's a lot of talent leaving the building. Yes, you have questions about Kerry Combs and, and you know where they're, where they're going defensively. But if you're looking at, at the most important thing, which is bringing in the most talented players in the country – it's Ohio State and Alabama right now, and, and that's where it is, and, and that's why you have to feel so comfortable about where Ohio State is as a program. And it's why you envisioned that the game we saw a few weeks ago between Ohio State and Alabama, the national championship game, but we're probably going to see that game again here at some point or maybe a, a few more points here uh, in, the, in the upcoming decade. Yeah, at a bare minimum. You know, I think it's worth digging into now like some of the other guys in this class who, you know, have a potential to be, you know, real impact players for Ohio State. And I guess, you know, what I was going to ask you is just who are some of the guys in your mind that, that you look at? And, you know, maybe they're not getting a lot of attention right now, but you think are guys that could be impact players in this class down the line. Well, when you say that, I almost... You know, I think there are four guys who get the most attention. I think it's Jack Sawyer, it's Emeka Egbuka, it's Travion Henderson, it's Kyle McCord. And I think that those four guys get the get the vast majority of the attention. I think, you know, I, I might say that the most important players in this class, I don't know that I believe that they are number one and number two, but I think you can absolutely make the case are, are Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock. Because I think that the, the most important thing for, for Kerry Combs um, as defensive coordinator is maybe not the most important thing is as it was when he was just the the cornerbacks coach at Ohio State. But the one certainty for for Kerry Combs is that he was going to and will always bring in the top line cornerback talent. And I think that this this if, if you just look at it even beyond those two guys, like this is this feels like the next step for the secondary when you think about Jansen Dunn, Andre Turrentine, um, Denzel Burke, and, and Jalen Johnson, as, uh, as well as, as Jordan Hancock and JK and Jaqueline Johnson. And, and you know, to me, these these Jaqueline and Johnson, Jordan Hancock are almost like you have to you have to turn them into studs. These these are the kind of guys to me who are the next in line to be the star potential first round cornerbacks at Ohio State, and they are absolutely gigantic recruiting wins. When you think of the fact that Jaquelin Johnson is the number three cornerback in the country, and Jordan Hancock was flipped from Clemson, and I think that when Jordan Hancock committed to Clemson, just like you do almost every time Clemson gets a commit, it's like, well, you put in your best effort, but you didn't actually make it happen, and and to to, to actually flip him. Um, now to me, this, this has the potential to be the, the next two star cornerbacks for Ohio state. And I don't feel like that's going overboard. Well, let's be honest. Like, I think you could see this year in the secondary that the talent was a little down from where it's been in past years, If they didn't have, you know, there, there was no Jeff Okuda in that group. And 
you know, I, I think some of that, you know, I think the recruiting there had been solid, but I think even, I think I had downplayed it some before. And I think you had talked about it a little more in the past about it just not, you know, getting as many of those real top of the line uh, defensive back recruits for the last few years. And I think we saw that manifest itself a little bit this year. So I think bringing in guys like Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock is really important for Ohio State right now. Not that I necessarily see them being instant saviors in 2021 because I think that development at that position takes time. And I also think that there's other guys who maybe weren't ready to to be top players this past year that could be in 2021. But I do think those are two guys you can circle right now and say, Within the next two to three years, these are guys you expect to be pushing for spots in that starting lineup. And these are guys who you expect to be those next potential first round picks developed by Kerry Combs. Because, you know, the reality is that was the expectation when Kerry Combs came in. It's not going to happen this year. I don't think there's any obvious candidates right now of guys who have already played to be that kind of guy. So you you got to be bringing guys in who have that kind of potential. And I think both of those guys do. Yeah. To stick with the secondary too, to me, it goes a little bit beyond those two guys because, you know, I think that, I think we know what they should be. Like those guys are outside cornerbacks who might be the next, you know, Jeff Okuda, the next Damon Arnett, the next Denzel Ward, the next first round pick. But I think that the, the interesting part about Ohio State's defense as much as anything else is, is the amount of versatile pieces who can maybe play slot corner in safety, can maybe play safety in cornerback, can maybe play nickelback in cornerback. There, I, th- I think that that's the, the, the number one thing about Ohio State's defense that I thought maybe we'd see a lot more in the fall of 2020, and, and we didn't. And I think that you know part of that is just due to there were some injuries there, there. There was just a lack of personnel right there. You know, what if court Williams had been healthy? You know, what if, you know, what if Marcus hooker had developed the way that, you know, Ohio state thought he had before the season, they could play him and, 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 uh, and Josh Proctor and sort of rotate their roles. And instead, you know, they had to make a late season switch, but I think that that bringing in Andre Turrentine, bringing in Jansen Dunn, bringing in Denzel Burke, bringing in Jalen Johnson gives them even more versatility. And like, that's, that's something that we've seen in, in the defensive back recruiting over the past few years. But I think maybe this class more than any other to me sort of spoke to, this is the future of what Ohio state wants in its defensive backfield. Yeah. I think it's very purposeful that you're bringing in, you know, really all four of those guys you mentioned are guys who could potentially line up at multiple spots. And I think that's very purposeful because I think you do need those guys who are pure corners on the outside. And that's exactly what you've gotten in, in Johnson and Hancock. Those are the kind of guys you're bringing in, but for this Ohio state defense to operate, you know, to look the way it did in 2019 for this defense to be what Ryan day wants it to be in, in terms of, you know, a versatile defense that, uh, you, you know, can, can play this, this style of defense that he wants them to play. You do need guys that have those kind of versatile skill sets where they can be a corner on one play and they can be a safety the next, or they can be a safety on one play and be a linebacker the next. And I think all four of those guys, you know, I, I don't look at any of those guys and say, I expect them to play big roles as true freshmen, but I think those are all guys that as they develop have the potential to, to be really valuable pieces for what Ohio state wants this defense to be. Yeah. We've talked a little bit recently and I, I just think that if we're looking at quantity, like I think that there is a gigantic quantity 
of defensive backs that you have. Like this to me, maybe not this fall, but in the next couple seasons, I think that this will be a strength for Ohio State because they have a ton of talent in the in, in the secondary, or at least they should. And it's up to the coaches and and the players to to develop the way that Ohio State really thought that they that they would when they came in. But but to me, this is an area that Ohio State is clearly pouring a lot of resources into. Um, and I, I do think that we should see results in the next few years. This to me is how you address the problem that that we saw um, in the fall and and you know I think that they did a good job in the recruiting trail. It's just a matter of development at this point. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too. Like you see them bringing in, you know, they're they're losing four linebackers right now. They're only bringing in one pure linebacker in Reed Carrico. Now Jalen Johnson could be a linebacker, but you know, you're only bringing in one true linebacker and six defensive back. You know, that kind of tells you, like, okay, are we going to see more nickel in the future? Like, is maybe that's where this thing is headed? Do maybe they want more of those kind of versatile guys? And maybe that's why they're not bringing in as many just true uh, in the box kind of linebackers. I don't know. I might be reading into it a little too much, but I think it's interesting. I don't think it's reading into it at all. I mean, you're if you're bringing in six defensive backs and one linebacker, what are you supposed to think? They're they're still going to play. Um, the same way that they have, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I do think that we'll see a more defensive back heavy package from Ohio state. And I know also, you know, there was talk about, you know, maybe Jalen Johnson plays some linebacker. I mean, you can look at what, what Pete Warner did a couple of years ago and, and say like that he was basically a safety. And I think that, you know, instead of looking at what, if there are any Ohio state linebackers to play basically safety, you can look at the safeties and say, are there any safeties who can, play the sand linebacker spot which is just basically a closer to the line um safety spot yeah yeah absolutely and i think like we, we've talked about like maybe a court williams could be that kind of player you know we'll we'll see if you know if he can become that i think jalen johnson's another guy who kind of is in that mold of where he could be either a safety or a linebacker and maybe the ideal fit for him is, is a more versatile role where he can play both yeah, and, and that's sort of the thing. Is like there are a lot of guys who can do a lot of things in the secondary, and that and that to me is the reason I'm most optimistic about this group. It's it's like I do think it's talented. I think that Jaquelin Johnson, and Jordan Hancock are really talented. I look at some of the younger defensive backs that are, that Ohio State has that maybe didn't play it play a ton this past season, and I think like there's a lot of talent in the room, but maybe more so than most, like there's just a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things, and like that that to me is that to me is where. It, then becomes coaching and it becomes how do you figure out how to get all these different guys to do different things and, and maximize their strength. And I think that that was something that Al, Al Washington was challenged with the past couple of seasons. I think he did a pretty good job with that. Um, and, and now it'll be up to, to Kerry Combs and, and Matt Barnes. To stick with the defense for a minute, a couple other guys I'm fascinated by are the defensive tackles, uh, Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams. I think Jack Sawyer has gotten so much of the attention on the defensive line and deservedly so. But I think both Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams are guys who could be impact players on that interior defensive line in the future. You know, starting with Hall, I mean, as you mentioned before, another, you know, real big in-state recruit. I think he's a guy at that free technique spot who, you know, he could be the next Haskell Garrett. He could be the next Draymond Jones. I think he's a guy who's got a lot of ability at that spot. And I'm really intrigued uh, to see, you know, in two or three years time, what kind of player he becomes. And and then you look at Tyleek Williams. I think he's a guy – I think Tyleek Williams is a guy that they don't have on the roster right now. I think Tyleek Williams is that big 
true nose tackle type that with Tommy Togiai leaving, I'm not sure they really have that guy for next year. I don't know if they really need that guy either because I think the style of defense that they play, it, 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 the nose tackle doesn't have to be this just massive plugger type. But I think Tyleek Williams of his combination of size and then the athleticism he has of that size, he's a guy. He might be the next Tommy Togiai at Ohio State. I'm intrigued to see what kind of player he becomes as he gets developed by Larry Johnson as well. Yeah, you don't want a 360-pounder who runs a 6'8'40 in Ohio State's defense. But I do think if you can have Tommy Togiai, you take Tommy Togiai. And, and sure, Tyleek Williams – I don't, I don't know that he's Tommy Togiai, but I do think he's talented enough to, to make a difference. And the interesting thing is with those two guys is I don't think that they're going to play a ton as freshmen just because if you look at the, the, the fact that Ohio State has Antoine Jackson, Haskell Garrett, Deron Cage, and Teron Benston, who I think are going to take the vast majority of defensive tackle snaps, um, I don't think they're going to play a ton as freshmen. But when you think about the fact that Ohio State will probably lose – well, they'll almost definitely lose Haskell Garrett. Well, they'll they, not even almost definitely. They will definitely lose Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson after this upcoming season. And they'll probably lose Jaron Cage as well. And if that were to happen, then Ohio State would have Teron Vincent, Jaden McKenzie, Ty Hamilton, and just the incoming freshmen. And that, to me, speaks to a, a giant opportunity for them. And I think that as, as soon as 2022 for those guys, it, it, it could be time to, to take over. You mentioned before that the four guys who get the most attention in this class are Jack Sawyer, Emeka Buka, Kyle McCord, Travion Henderson. I feel like the guy who gets overlooked is Donovan Jackson, who's a top 20 overall recruit in the country. And, and you think of what Ohio State just had in Wyatt Davis. You look at Donovan Jackson, he could be your next Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. I mean, he, he's got that kind of ability where I, I think he could be an absolutely dominant guard at Ohio State. And it could be your next star on that interior offensive line. And, you know, I think offensive line isn't the sexiest position, so it doesn't always get as much hype. But, you know, he's a guy, I think even as a summer enrollee, I think he's going to challenge for an immediate spot on that two deep on the offensive line. And I'm really intrigued to see, you know, it, it, you know, as a sophomore, a junior, whenever his time comes, what kind of player he can be on that Ohio State offensive line. Well, as a former offensive guard in high school uh, a decade ago. I, of <laughs> course, am going to stand up for my fellow offensive guards. Um, and yeah, I, I think that for some reason, <laughs> landing an offensive guard is probably even less sexy for for fans than landing a punter. Like that to me is what it feels like a lot of the time. But you're right to make the, the Wyatt Davis comparison, because if you look at their recruiting rankings, like they're in the exact same ballpark. Um, and and you're, you're not going to find a lot of people who look at Donovan Jackson and say, yeah, you know, I'm just not really seeing it. <laughs> I don't think that that kind of person exists. And, and to me, like, I think Ohio State is, you know, I think that their offensive line is set up really well for the future. Um, and if you look at it next season, you're basically just littered, uh, at least the starting lineup with, with former top recruits. But I think getting the next Wyatt Davis in the pipeline, the next stud guard is, is going to be important because I don't necessarily know um, who that is that they have on the roster right now. Like I, when I think of Wy a Wyatt Davis, I think of a first round talent, a for, uh, like not an automatic first round talent, but someone who you can you can see the path. It's not hard. Um, and, and to me, that's what Donovan Jackson is. The wide receivers are fascinating because 
you know, these are free guys that I think would be right near the top of my list of the guys I'm really excited to watch at Ohio State this upcoming year. And Emeka Buka, Jaden Ballard, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, Abuka's a top 10 overall recruit. He absolutely has stud potential. Jaden Ballard, I always go back to the Devin Smith comparison of him, but I'm, I'm really intrigued by him as a deep threat, as somebody who I think can be a big play guy for Ohio State's offense. And then, I mean, Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, he was extremely productive in high school. He's the son of a pro football Hall of Famer. I think he's got a chance to be a really good uh, player for the Buckeyes as well. But they come into a room that returns literally everybody and is so loaded with talent that I just don't see uh, much of a path to the field for those guys in year one. I think if any of them get on the field much as a true freshman, it's going to be a Buka. I think he's a guy uh, maybe he factors in as a backup slot. You know, if, if, if we assume that Ivor Wilson or Smith Najigba is going to probably play mostly on the outside just to get them both on the field more. I think maybe that backup slot would be a spot where a Buka could step in and get some playing time, but it's just the competition in that room is going to be so intense. And, and those guys even coming in as early enrollees, you know, I think of like a Garrett Wilson two years ago where I think the red carpet was laid out for him to, to get right into that rotation immediately. I just think it's going to be so much harder for these guys and they're going to really have to make a big impression if they're going to jump this cavalcade of top 100 veterans who are already on the roster. Yeah. I don't have a freaking clue how, how they're going to play more than just limited snaps. Um, I really don't. I mean, that, that room, that room is incredible. I mean, you have everything in that room. I mean, you have the guy in Chris Olave who should have gone and been a first round pick and decided to come back. Like you have Garrett Wilson, the former five-star recruit who's about to become a first round pick and, and, you know, have his junior season. I mean, you have young guys like Julian Fleming and Jets and Smith and Jigba and G Scott who like, we basically haven't really seen anything from, but now they have an entire year of experience. You have Jamison Williams, who is a starter. I mean, there is, I mean, you even have veterans like Jalen Harris and, and Cam Babu. It's like, I don't really know if they're ever going to get anything from those guys just because of the way that the, that the room's laid out right now. But like, they're also former highly regarded recruits in, in their own right. So you do have to wonder if, if, if they'll factor into to Brian Hartline's rotation, but it's almost hard to even look at these guys and, expect anything other than just to wait your time um and it's it's it seems unfair but like let's be honest like they knew what they were getting themselves into like they didn't commit to ohio state thinking that they were going to start off the jump i mean obviously brian hartline did not make that kind of pitch to them and they still bought in and i think that that's an important part of this too is you know brian hartline has the loaded room everybody knows it and yet he's still adding you know top guys to it and i think that that's you know that 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 to me tells you that whatever whatever he's doing, like I don't expect it to stop anytime soon. A couple other guys we haven't mentioned, but I feel like we should bring up here quickly are Evan Pryor and Reed Carrico, because those are both guys who are top 100 recruits. Evan Pryor ranked 82nd in the class. Reed Carrico ranked 86, and I think you know Pryor gets overshadowed by Henderson, but I'm intrigued to see what kind of player he becomes too. I think he's a guy. Who, who could be a really good receiver out of a backfield. And so I'm intrigued to see how they use him. You know, I think as crowded as that room is in year one, I think it's going to be tough for him to get on the field as a freshman. But I do think he's a guy who has a real chance to be an impact player uh, for the offense at some point in the future. And then, you know, Reed Carrico is a guy, you know, I, I see him as a, a, 
a middle linebacker of a future at Ohio state. You know, again, I mean, I think as a freshman coming in, you know, special teams is going to be the quickest route to the field for him, but you know, he's a guy that I look at, you know, by, you know, year two, year three. I mean, I think he's a guy who could be pushing for, you know, that starting middle linebacker job. And I think could be a really good player for the Buckeyes at that position. Yeah. Evan Pryor is interesting because, you know, he's, he's going to be overshadowed the moment he walks in the door by Travion Henderson. Um, and I don't think that anyone's expecting him to get more run than Travion Henderson as, as a true freshman. But if you do look at what he offers as, as a pass catcher out of the backfield, like, I mean, think of the guys on the team right now. It's Master Teague, Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley, Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson coming in. I don't think that those guys, when, when I think of them, like none of them I look at, I think they're incompetent at catching passes out of the backfield but I don't really know that any of them are dynamic. And I do wonder if there's any type of role early in his career that, that will lend itself to, to getting Evan Pryor on the field. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, 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 I feel like I'd probably sell on that as a freshman because I feel like every year I've tried to like talk myself into like the receiving back yeah, role at Ohio state, state and it just <laughs> does never happen. Now, granted, I, I I think part of that's just the fact that Demario McCall did not develop into the player that people have tried to hype him up to be for the last five years. But, you know, I, I also just don't know that that role is ever going to really exist in Ryan Day's offense. So I don't see them forcing it, but I, I do think it's interesting in the future to see, you know, what kind of player, you know, Evan Pryor can become. And if he, if he can become the kind of guy who, you know, forces his way onto the field. Yeah, he he's someone he's someone who's going to be totally under the radar even for me. Um, and I don't, I almost don't really know what to expect. I really don't from him. I, I have a, I have really high expectations from Travion Henderson even in year one. I don't really know what to expect from Evan Pryor. The weirdest thing about this recruiting class is that we are not going to know for probably three more months whether this class is complete or whether oh, Ohio State is going to add another guy to it. And the reality is. The vast majority of the time, if you're Ohio State, you are not waiting on a guy for three months at this point. You, you, you're you, you're going to be telling a guy, we need you to sign now or we're going to move on. But JT Tuomolowau is the kind of guy you wait for because this is a guy, I think 24-7 sports in its own rankings ranks him as the number one player in the class. I believe he's number three composite in the entire class. But this is the kind of guy who – you know, we've talked so much about Jack Sawyer, but if you land to Molowal, he's another guy who could come in and could be your next Bosa, your next Chase Young. He has that kind of ability. So if he wants to wait until May to make a decision, you're going to hold a spot for him. You're going to wait. I, I, you know, I think that's a hard in a little bit of a sense because, you know, if you're looking at transfer portal guys and stuff like that, if you've got to hold that one spot for somebody, I think it makes it a little bit more challenging. But at the same time, this is the kind of guy, if you have any chance to get him, you're going to do what you have to do to give yourself that chance. Yeah, and remember what I said about the true freshman maybe not playing a lot as a defensive tackle? Yeah, that doesn't apply to him. No. <laughs> he, he would get on the field one way or another right off the bat. Yeah, and he's a guy he could play end, he could play tackle. He's a guy who's got you know the kind of size and athleticism where he can be a real versatile piece for Ohio State's defensive line. So uh, he's absolutely the kind of guy that, you know, you bring him into a, a Larry Johnson coach defensive line. Uh, he could be an absolute superstar. And uh, there's no doubt Ohio State is going to continue to recruit him hard until he's ready to make a decision. 
Yeah, if you bring him and Jack Sawyer in the same class, like, <laughs> I mean, I mean that that has that has the potential right there to be uh, one heck of a defensive end duo in two or three years uh, if you can land them both in the same class. All right, knowing that we were going to talk about, um, knowing we were going to talk about these early signees. I wrote down five call your shot questions and I didn't show them to you because I felt like that would ruin it. They're not, they're not particularly difficult. You like putting um, me on the spot. I do. Cause it's more fun. It's more fun that way. And there's, there's only five of them. Um, but I'm just going to run through them real quick. We don't have to have super long discussions, but I think that, I think they could be a little interesting. You have the, you, I, I assume you have the list of recruits. Uh, I do. Cause that yep. would, that would probably help with four of them, but not the first one. It's simple. If Larry Johnson, once he retires, were to have a Mount Rushmore of Ohio State defensive ends constructed outside of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, and three of them are Chase Young, Nick Bosa, and Joe Bosa, is Jack Sawyer end up as number four? Yes. Yes. If you look at the other guys, I mean, I sort of wrote down some of them. Sam Hubbard, Zach Harrison, um, Tyquan Lewis are probably – the other three that, that I look at. And it, even like Tyquan Lewis was the def- big 10 um, defensive lineman of the year and then came back for another year. I mean, they, they, these guys aren't, these guys didn't have small careers, but I will say, I think I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I, I do look at Jack Sawyer and I think, you know, I, I, I remember what I said about Zach Harrison and I think that Zach Harrison still has a chance to be great. Um, but the fact that he maybe didn't have the sophomore season that I thought he would, I think Zach, I, I do look at Jack Sawyer and think that he's maybe more so in the the Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, um, that kind of track more so than any of those other guys. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard had fantastic Ohio State careers. But if you're talking about the defensive ends that Larry Johnson is coached right now, it's it's Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and then it's everybody else. And Jack Sawyer is the kind of guy who I think can make that jump to where he's not going to be everybody else. He's going to be that next superstar. He's going to be that next top five overall NFL draft pick. Yeah. I think that one guy who can maybe prove both of us wrong is Zach Harrison. Like I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like some people have written off Zach Harrison a little bit because he's not on the same. I have not, I have not at all. and, and, And I do think it is worth noting. Like it does feel like he's not, at the same point that that those three others were in their he's careers, not. but athletically, he's more. He's I mean, he's more athletic than any of those three, which is like a a, a crazy thing to say. But I do think that that's where he is right now. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely not written him off. I mean, I do think he's behind where he was expected to be, but I also do not at all rule out the fact that he could make a huge jump as a junior. All right. So you have the list of, of, of signees pulled up. The mm-hmm. guy outside of the top 100 who goes highest in the NFL draft is who? Wow, that's a really good one. I'm going to go with Tyleek Williams. I'm going to go with Tyleek Williams. Tyleek Williams. I think with, with that size and that athleticism, I think he's a really uh, intriguing uh, nose tackle prospect who I think it has definite NFL potential. I think he's I think he's almost like he's the safe option. Like I feel like – feel like if Tyleek Williams develops the way that, that, that Ohio state thinks he should um, and, and builds molds his body the right way. Like, you know, he's the, he's the classic mid round pick. Um, if I were to, I might go with, you know, I I'm just so intrigued by Jansen Dunn and Andre Turrentine. I, I, I just, I, 
I want to see them on the field. I want to, I want to actually get a chance to, to see them with my own eyes. Cause I haven't ever seen them in person. It's just been highlight tape and stuff like that, but I would almost be tempted to pick one of those two. Um, Which one you got to pick one. I'll go Jansen Dunn. I'll go Jansen Dunn. It's there almost just based on size and the fact that the NFL values that so much. Yeah. Um, he's, and, and the he's versatility really on the back end. Um, next question. The first defensive signee to start for Ohio state, Outside of the two defensive linemen named Jack Sawyer and JT, will be who? Jaqueline Johnson. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Jaqueline Johnson is starting in 2022 as a sophomore. I was I was back and forth between those guys and wondering whether they might get at least one start this season, this upcoming season. I don't rule it out. I, I'm not. I don't rule it out either. And I I, I went straight to the cornerback position too. Um, I will I will ride with Jordan Hancock, but I think Jaqueline Johnson was my runner-up. All right, two more. The guy who benefits in this class most from name, image, and likeness reform is who? Oh wow, that's a really good one. I'm gonna go with Jack Sawyer because I think for one, being the local guy really helps in that regard in, in terms of you know having name, image, and likeness opportunities and. Like he's got a really good personality. Like he's a guy I, I love talking to because, uh, you know he he tells it like it is. He he's not afraid to uh, show a little confidence. Uh, and you know I, I think he's a guy again. I mean if he becomes a player, but I think he's going to be. You know he he, he could be an absolutely a face of the, the program type player uh, when he's a, a junior at Ohio State. So there's a lot of good options for that question. I'm going to go with Jack. Yeah, I think that it's hard not to pick him. Like to me, it's like if this name, image, and likeness reform passes quickly in the way that maybe it's it's expected to look like, like he's a prime candidate to to make a boatload of money. And I do think, I mean, can we just be honest? Like Jack Sawyer is a great name. He looks like the kind of guy who, um, like he has he has the personality. He has everything that you would really want if you were selling a product and say, which Ohio State player do we want having backing our brand? maybe Jack Sawyer. Um, the other guy I was thinking of Travion Henderson, because it's, it's in the same, it's the same ballpark as, as, as your explanation. That's like Travion Henderson is a great personality. Um, and he loves to talk and he, he, he will be out front. And also uh, if Travion Henderson turns into JK Dobbins 2.0, there's a lot of money to be made. And and that's the kind of career that, that some people, you know, are both hoping for and envisioning. Yeah, and I mean, I think quarterbacks and running backs are are always going to have the advantage in this thing. So I think certainly uh, both Travion Henderson and Kyle McCord are right yep. at the top of that list if they can establish themselves as starters at Ohio State. All right, last one. Um, I'm going to take Jack Sawyer out of this one because Jack Sawyer is like the answer to half of these questions. This is maybe the third question in a row that I should have probably taken Jack Sawyer out, which maybe speaks to – you know, what he is in this class. Uh, but who is the guy that at some point Ohio State fans will just fall in love with? Shoot, I'm going to go off the board here. Ohio State fans, they 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 loved Cameron Johnston, and they loved them an Aussie punter. So I'm going to go ahead and say Jesse Murko uh, becomes Ohio State's next great Australian punter and a Buckeye fan favorite. That's, that is an amazing pick. And also, like, I can totally see it. There's nothing better than an Australian punter. And like I'll be honest, I have no idea how good Jesse Murko's gonna be, but he's Australian. I have not punts. been to Australia to watch yeah. him punt. 
if by the if by the end of his career, an Ohio State beat writer doesn't go to Australia to do a big old feature on Jesse Merker, that'll be a disappointment. I volunteer. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. Uh, I, you know, there there are a lot of guys in this class who you could you could see being that. Um, I mean, I almost I think the easy pick is Travion Henderson. Like I I do think people will really like Travion Henderson the person as much as as much as they like Travion Henderson um the athlete. But I might also look at a Jaden Ballard. If Jaden Ballard can be who who Ohio State fans want Jaden Ballard to be, and that is that deep threat who is just nasty down the field. Jaden Ballard is the kind of player, and he's from Ohio. Uh, he's the kind of player that that people can really can really love. All right, we answered Colin's questions. Now we're going to answer your questions, and we got a lot of good ones this week. Uh, so we'll start right out with Herbs Renewal asks: If the following occurs, would you be underwhelmed? And that is uh, the rumored coaching hire of Parker Fleming as special teams coordinator with. Matt Barnes, in in his scenario, he would have Matt Barnes moving to secondary coach, coaching all the DBs, and then Kerry Combs uh, coaching just just focusing on defensive coordinator. I, I I don't I don't necessarily think that's exactly how it would work, but you know I, that is the rumor that Matt Barnes would take on a more extensive role uh, with the defense, you know, potentially in the secondary, you know, potentially freeing up Kerry Combs to you know, focus more on coordinator duties. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that we're sitting here today and we're still talking about rumors here on coaching. Cause I honestly thought that, that this was going to be buttoned up by now with, with signing day uh, being here. I thought Ohio state was going to actually, you know, make these hires and, you know, it, it, my guess is these are going to be the hires. Um, but the question is, you know, would you be underwhelmed and following up on that? Is it okay to be skeptical of Day's quote unquote second wave of hiring, which he listed as Kerry Combs, Corey Dennis, and then whatever happens with Madison's replacement? To answer the first question, I mean, would I be underwhelmed? I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd say yes, because I do think that you know, you're coming off a, a really bad season for the defense, and I do think it is an opportunity where you could bring in, you know, somebody else, uh, you know, particularly somebody who's got, you know, a, a defensive scheme background who could maybe, you know, change some things up with the defensive scheme, make some enhancements to it. Um, I, I do think there would have been some value in that. And if that's not the way, you know, Ryan day decides to go with it. I mean, again, I, I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm not an expert necessarily, on building a coaching staff. I trust that Ryan day knows a lot more about that than I do. So I'm still inclined to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt here with, you know, what he decides to do. And it, it, I think if he does this, a lot of it is, you know, wanting to maintain continuity along with a belief that he has Ohio state fans don't share it right now, but I think he has a belief that, you know, with a, you know, COVID kind of screwed things up this past year. And if you get a full off season with Kerry Combs as coordinator, that, you know, they're going to be able to get things back on track, but yes, I think it's okay to be skeptical. You know, I, I think, I, I think, 
you know, I, I don't think that, you know, just because, I mean, I mean, Ryan Day's done fantastic in his first two years as Ohio State head coach, but I don't think that means that we should just assume that every move he makes is going to be gold. And I mean, you know, Corey Dennis, like I've said before, I think we just, we just don't know yet. I mean, we just don't know yet how, how well Corey Dennis can coach quarterbacks because last year he inherited Justin Fields. We're going to learn that this year when we see whoever the starting quarterback ends up being, I think that's going to be our first telling sign of what Corey Dennis is as a, as a quarterback's coach. But, you know, certainly in terms of Kerry Combs, I mean, there is reason to be skeptical right now about him as a defensive coordinator. That doesn't mean that I don't think he can get things turned around, but I think he's got an awful lot to prove this year. And so I think when you combine that with the fact of, okay, now you're losing a veteran coach in Greg Madison and you're, you know, potentially just, promoting from within to replace him and not necessarily with somebody who can help out with defensive coordinating duties. I I do think it's fair to be skeptical of that. I think the results will ultimately speak for themselves this fall, but I think it's absolutely fair to be skeptical right now. Yeah. I think your level of underwhelmed, what what would be the word? The, The level to which you are underwhelmed about the potential hiring of Parker Fleming is really defined by your level of skepticism that Kerry Combs is the right guy. And if you think Kerry Combs can get it done, then maybe Parker Fleming is okay because in this scenario, he's only coaching special teams. You have great recruiters, both you have great recruiters at all three levels, the secondary linebackers and defensive line. And if you think Kerry Combs can get it done, then you probably shouldn't be that worried. But if you're skeptical about Kerry Combs, and I think it's completely reasonable to feel that way, then yeah, I absolutely think it's fair to be underwhelmed by by this potential hire if it if it happens. Because, I mean, you think about what Greg Madison did in the in, in defending the run um, with, with what he did at, at you know the Sam linebacker spot over the past couple of seasons, and I, I don't think you can really overlook that. And also, I don't think you can overlook just the the you know his impact on on scheming and game planning and that kind of stuff. And you're essentially in this scenario handing the complete reins over to Kerry Combs. And of course, he'll have input um, from from all the other assistants on his side of the ball. Of course, that'll happen. Um, but when you don't have another co-defensive coordinator, I think it's fine not to have a co-defensive coordinator there's a lot relying on that defensive coordinator to, to get the job done. And it's interesting that they've gone with that, that they would potentially go with Parker Fleming to, to also uh, a year after they went with Corey Dennis. And to me, it's almost like, you know, it feels like they want longevity. It feels like that that's something that Ryan day really wants in his coaching staff. Um, And that is, you know, the kind of guys who you don't really imagine are going to leave anytime soon. And also maybe are cheap options and allow you to spend on some other assistant coaches. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think it's, I, I will be fascinated to see the reaction of, of Ohio state fans in general, if this move gets made, because um, it's essentially putting all of your balls in the Gary Combs court and saying, I believe in this. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like, being underwhelmed by his hire from my point of view has nothing to do with Parker Fleming and his ability to coach special teams, because based on everything I've heard about Parker Fleming, he is very knowledgeable when it comes to special teams. And I think he can probably do a great job in that role. It's just the fact that it seems like an opportunity to maybe improve what you have on the defensive side of the ball. And if you make this move, it, it just feels like you're not taking that opportunity. And maybe 
Ryan Day proves right in that, but I do think it's fair to wonder, like, okay, is Ryan Day maybe a little bit too afraid to rock the boat here? Like, you know, I think anybody who watched the defense last year can look at that and say, like, things didn't work the way they were supposed to. There's clearly room for improvement here. And I think, you know, I think it's, you know, if it, I think if in his mind he feels like Kerry Combs can get the job done and, and we're going to trust him and the other returning coaches to get the job done, then, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, certainly his prerogative to do that. And he may very well be proven right, but if it doesn't work out, you know, it, to me, it's almost, it also almost puts you in a position where if it doesn't work out, there's going to be no way you can justify keeping Kerry Combs beyond this year, because I think it, it, it almost puts it where Kerry Combs, if he's the sole defensive coordinator, he has to prove he can do it in 2021. Or if not, then you're not going to have any choice but to make a change after this year. Yeah, there's there there's a lot riding on this decision. There really is. I think there there actually there there are people's jobs um, who if you if you get this one wrong, it, it's going to cost someone else. Another question related to assistant coaches, and we could we could legitimately spend a half hour discussing this. We're not going to because we don't have time for that. But uh, I did think it was a really good question. It came from Minbuck, and he asked rank the assistant coaches, Mark Pantoni and Mick Marotti in terms of their importance to the program. Assume all will be here for an extended period. So take age retirement rumors and potential interest in and ability to leave for other opportunities out of the equation. So I'll start it off for me. For me, number one is Mickey Marotti because you know, one thing you're always going to hear if you talk to, you know, coaches and players in the program, you know, ever since he's been here is that, you know, like this time of year right now, they just started winter workouts on Monday. Like right now, Mickey Marotti is basically the head coach of the Buckeyes. Like he's the guy who's leading them through all these offseason workouts. And he plays such an integral role in developing players from a strength and conditioning standpoint and getting them ready for the season that to me, you know, he he's number one. He's right at the top of a list of outside of Ryan Day. I think he's the most important guy in the program. Yeah, I, I get the argument. I just don't have him at number one. I have him at number three. I have two other assistant coaches ahead of him. Um, and I think, I do think, like, if you want to put Mickey Marotti at one, I have zero problem with that. I think I think the case for him is strong. And, and I think that, you know, maybe more so than anybody else, the fact that he stayed when Urban Meyer left and retired um, was maybe the biggest part about that entire transition that gets overlooked because I do wonder where this Ohio state program would be over the past two years if he had left uh, because his, his, his fingerprints are just all over this program. But my number one, I'll just go my number one, number two, my number one is Larry Johnson, because like, I think when I think about Ohio state, I think about Ohio state defensive ends. I think about Larry Johnson. To me, this entire defensive structure is built on the fact that Ohio State has amazing defensive ends and a great defensive line every single year. And that all goes back to Larry Johnson developing really well, recruiting at the highest level in the country, and churning out first-round picks. And that's just what he does. And that's what, that's what until he retires, he will do. And I think that, you know, I, I did take out the potential that, you know, maybe he retires at some point because he's he's getting up there in age. But 
you know, as of now, he's my number one. And then I'll just go with my number two, since they're both above Mickey Marotti on my list. I have Kerry Combs there. And that's probably higher than some. But if I'm just talking about, if I'm looking strictly at importance to the program, to me, Kerry Combs is the leader of the defense now. I mean, he's the guy. He's the guy who has to get this entire thing fixed. And also, he's the guy who's going to bring in five-star cornerbacks year after year. And he's going to he's going to bring in the the elite the elite talent. Um, and I don't know that you know. I think you can make a case for Kerry Combs being number one if we're looking strictly in terms of importance. I'm, and, and honestly, I could probably talk myself into that right now. But but I have Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, and then Mickey Marotti. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. Uh, on my list, I put Larry Johnson at number three. I put Kerry Combs at number five. Five. If it was assistant, if it was just assistant coaches, I would have put Larry Johnson at number one. I put Mark Pantoni at number two because I think you hear so much about the infrastructure of this program. And I think you mentioned that transition from Urban today. I think both Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantoni have played a massive role in that. And you look at how strong Ohio State's recruiting efforts have become uh, since Urban Meyer and Mark Pantoni came to Ohio State. And I think him staying aboard uh, has, has played a huge role in, in keeping that rolling. You know, I think assistant coaches by nature have to be designed to be replaced because you're going to lose guys. Even if we take it out of the equation here, you, you have to, you know, factor that in, you know, Larry Johnson, there's no doubt about it. He is going to be tough to replace. So I, ve- I was very close to putting him at number two and I, I, I don't have any argument of him being number one. Uh, he's, he's number three on my list behind Marotti and Pantoni. And then number four, I've got Brian Hartline. I think what, what Brian Hartline has done uh, in you know his time as wide receivers coach, I mean, we talked about how loaded that receivers room has been. He's been phenomenal. I think if you polled Ohio State fans right now about like which assistant coach they're most worried about losing, it's Brian Hartline because they've seen the kind of impact he's made uh, already, uh, especially on the recruiting trail and then you know doing a great job as an on-field coach as well. Um, you know, it, 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 if you are just talking in terms of the importance of their roles on Ohio State staff, then yes, Kerry Combs would probably go ahead of Brian Hartline. But I, I just think Brian Hartline's one of those guys you really want to hang on to him as long as you can because he's doing a phenomenal job. The difference, the reason I have Kerry Combs higher is because I think that they recruit at a pretty similar level, and Kerry Combs is way more important to as as a as a um, coordinator. Than, than, than Brian Hartline is. And, and that's why I've carried Combs ahead. But so my top five, since they've all been mentioned now, are Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, Mickey Marotti, Brian Hartline, and Mark Pantoni. I know you have Pantoni at two. I have him at five. Um, and I, you know, I, I understand the argument. And I, and I honestly, at, at one point, I thought about putting Kevin Wilson ahead of him. But I do think that there is there's a lot there's a lot that that Mark Pantoni does behind the scenes that that makes this recruiting machine churn and, and like we've said a lot like you know even someone someone like Kevin Wilson like I think that you know his his offensive acumen you know his ability to develop tight ends and, and help with the offensive tackles is, is super important but the number one thing is is bringing in high level talent and that's where Mark Pantoni um, does his thing that that's his entire job and he does it at, at an incredibly high level. So I assume you have Kevin Wilson at number six. I have Kevin Wilson at number six, yes. I have him at number seven. I, I put Al Washington at number six. Um, I definitely definitely get the argument of putting a Wilson where you did. I mean, again, he's a, he's a coordinator. Al Washington is not. But 
you know, I think Al Washington uh, is doing an excellent job uh, on the recruiting trail first and foremost. And I, and I think that's one of the things I looked at in making this ranking is if you look at the assistant coaches that in my mind are making the biggest impact on the recruiting trail, you know, it's Larry Johnson, it's Brian Hartline, it's Kerry Combs, it's Al Washington. So, you know, that's why I ranked those guys as the top four. I think, I think Kelvin Wilson definitely plays a big role. The reason I don't have him higher is because even if you didn't have him, you still have Ryan day. Ryan day is still the guy who's the leader of the offensive play calling and game plan. So I think Kevin Wilson plays a big role in that, but I think as long as you have Ryan day, any other offensive coordinator uh, isn't going to be as high on the list in terms of the importance of their role. Yeah, I think that's fair. I have, so after Kevin Wilson, I have Kevin Wilson and then Al Washington on, on my list. And, and to me, you know, I actually almost flipped and, and had Al Washington even further down one peg because I think Tony Alford gets a little bit overlooked because of his his really bad misses in 2020. And of course, that ended up with Mayan Williams, who might be really good. Um, and I think maybe what gets overlooked is the fact that he's brought in some really high-level running backs as well. So if we're going to talk about recruiting – I mean, in this class that we just talked about, the 2021 class, it's literally the number one running back recruit in the nation and Travion Henderson and then off and then Evan Pryor as well. And to, to land them both was was huge. Um, I think that I think Al Washington and Tony Alford to me were almost interchangeable on this list. And that's their their position coaches who are really, really good at their job. Um, who recruit at a really high level and who it would suck for Ohio State to lose them, but like at some point, maybe that will happen unless it, it feels like maybe Al Washington could get a co-DC title at some point. Um, I don't really know what Tony Alford's next step is. It feels like probably a head coach somewhere. I know he wanted the Colorado State job. What was that a year ago? But you know, these are these are high-level assistant coaches who who do their jobs really well, and um, that's you know, there it's almost the expectation to be that kind of that kind of assistant at Ohio State. Yeah, I, I, I agree with put, putting Tony Alford at, at number eight. Is that where, it's, where you have him? Yes. You know, the last three were pretty tough for me, but I, I went with Matt Barnes at nine because I think, I mean, we're, we're talking about he, he might be a co-coordinator any day now. I mean, he might be, or if not, at least he's going to be taking on an expanded role uh, with the defense. So I think that tells you, you know, that he is someone who is highly valued by the program. I put Corey Dennis at number 10 mostly because of the fact that I think that if they lost Corey Dennis, there's a chance they would also lose Quinn Ewers. So I honestly thought about putting him higher than that. Uh, I didn't because I still think Ryan Day is ultimately going to be the guy who's leading the quarterbacks at Ohio State. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't put Corey Dennis at the bottom because of the Quinn Ewers connection. And then, you know, Greg Stadrawa, I, I don't mean it as a slight toward, toward Stud. I know that there's people who criticize Stud. I really don't mean it as that. It's just somebody's got to be at the bottom. All right, Dan, I've taken this as a slight. I can't believe that you have him at the bottom. Defend defend Greg Sadrawa at the bottom. I need I need that because I have Greg Sadrawa, then Matt Barnes, then Corey Dennis. And I think that my bottom two are just locked in stone. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a bad take on my part. I mean, I'm I, I no, think no, no, he's defend done very, I, I, you you you're certainly not alone in this. I think he's done a very good job as offensive line coach, but you know, I do I do I think that if he left do I think Ohio state could go out and hire an offensive line coach who can do the job as well as he's doing it right now? I, I feel fairly confident that they could. And again, I, I know it makes me sound like I'm just trashing on stud. And I, I really don't, I really don't mean to do that. I think stud is a good coach. I think he's done 
better as a recruiter that people think, but somebody has to go at the bottom. And I, I do think that Matt Barnes and Corey Dennis are two young coaches that are very highly valued by the program. Even if they're not guys who get a lot of hype for what they do, I, I do think that they're two young guys who are very val- highly valued in the program and most likely over time are going to continue to be more and more influential within the program. All right. If we're looking at level of importance, like Matt Barnes level of importance thus far has been to like beat Carrie Combs and Jeff Halfley's helper essentially. Um, and to coordinate special teams, which like has been fine. Like I, I'm not sure special teams has been a gigantic one for Ohio state and Corey Dennis's job is to, um, coach quarterbacks along with Ryan Day, who is the main recruiter there. And if I look at what what Greg Sadrawa has done, um, sure, if you if you if you want to if I, I I don't think Greg Sadrawa was the best offensive line coach in the country. But I, I remember writing this statistic. I went back and looked it up because I think it's I think it's so telling about you know where Ohio State is as a program when it comes to offensive linemen. Um, Donovan Jackson is the fifth off fifth five star in the in the last five recruiting classes. They've signed a five star in five straight recruiting classes on the offensive line. Before that streak began in 2017, Ohio State in the modern recruiting era in the 17 prior years had signed three five star offensive linemen. So I'm not saying that Greg Sadrawa is a great recruiter, but I think Greg Greg Sadrawa is certainly not getting in the way of their recruiting. I'll put it that way. I, I I and when it comes to development, I mean, I look at what Ohio State is is you know, put forth the past couple of seasons. I mean, I think especially the last two years, their offensive line has has been outstanding. So I will defend Greg Sadrawa against you putting him last because I I can't believe that you have him behind Matt Barnes and Corey Dennis, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm really not – I mean, like I said, the the end of it was hard for me. I got to defend my offensive lineman, man. Come on. No, I I, I get it. I get it. Again – I, again, I, I, I think Stud takes more heat than he should. So I know that me putting him there makes it look like I'm one of the Stud haters. I'm really not, but somebody had to go at the bottom. And, and, I, and, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't include the yet to be named coach because we don't even know, you know, if, if Parker Fleming gets hired, he would be number 12 on my list. Uh, but since he hasn't been named a coach yet, I didn't include him there. My reasoning for Corey Dennis being last is if Corey Dennis left tomorrow, it would affect the program 0%. You don't think it would have any impact on Quinn Ewers? Um, you know, he's the interesting one. And and if you want to – I'll put it this way. Like if there I, – I couldn't imagine that there would be um, – like that's, that's, that's the question that like, I have no idea on. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I don't really know. I mean, you heard, you heard things when he committed that Corey Dennis played some sort of role in that recruitment, but like at the end of the day, there's no chance Quinn yours is committing to a school to be coached by Corey Dennis. He's committing to a school to be the next Justin Fields. And by being the next Justin Fields, that means being coached by Ryan day. Um, so do I think it would have an effect? I com- I'll be completely honest. I have no idea. Um, and if that's your reasoning for putting him above Grace Sadrawa, like I I get that part of it. I I I can't do it. I can't do it. I think I I will defend. I will defend Stud. I'm not calling you a Stud hater, but I will defend Stud not being last. I think it would have an impact. If that was actually another one of the questions we were asked was by Downtown Buck was any concerns of viewers going back to Texas got to imagine that is Sark's main focus. And my, 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 my main question about would be when you are talking about the number one overall prospect in the country, you should always be concerned 
about other schools continuing to recruit that guy because I mean this is the kind of guy that yeah if, if you're Texas you cannot just say well he flipped to Ohio State we're going to give up if you're Texas Quinn Ewers is the guy that you have to get like that's the type of guy you are not expected to lose that's the kind of guy if Texas is going to be quote unquote back you have to get Quinn Ewers so if you're Steve Sarkeesian stepping in, you absolutely have to try to get Quinn Ewers back. I mean, he was committed to Texas at one time. So that would tell you that he has interest in playing for Texas. Maybe he lost interest in playing for Tom Herman. But if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you absolutely have to stay on that Quinn Ewers recruitment uh, until the end of this thing. I mean, you, you have to keep trying. And if you're Ohio State, you have to look at Quinn Ewers as though he is uncommitted and you've got to keep recruiting him hard for the next 11 months because that's just the way it is when you're recruiting a guy like that. So, you know, in terms of my level of concern, you know, I'm not predicting that Quinn Ewers is going to flip back to Texas. I'm I'm going to predict that Quinn Ewers will stick by his commitment and sign with Ohio State. But I, I do think there's a level of concern there just because, you know, this is an out-of-state guy who's the number one overall recruit in the country, and I absolutely think Texas is going to push for him for the next 11 months. This is like if Quinn Ewers grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and Ohio State was a little bit of a mess. He, he flipped from your school to Texas. You fired your coach, and you have a year to go after Quinn Ewers. Like, would you do that? You would probably do that. <laughs> yeah, if you're Ohio State, so like that's where Texas is in that situation. Um, so, is there a concern? I'm with you. Like, I think he signs with Ohio State. Like, I think that relationship um, with with Ryan Day and and like you mentioned, Corey Dennis, um, along with the fact that he's looking at what Justin Fields just did and thinking, shoot, I can, I can, I can do that. I think that that I think that that gives Ohio State the the the, the clear edge at this point. But like, yeah, Texas better put on the full court press because that's what you're expected to do if you're Texas. And there's still 11 months. There's still enough time to to build some sort of relationship there. Um, they got to force their way in on on that somehow. So yeah, if you're Ohio State, you're probably not in a comfortable position for 11 months. You have to you have, you have to recruit him as as hard as you possibly can. But but I do think that the Buckeyes are in a good spot right now. Buckeye Proud 82 asked, what happened with Marcus Hooker? I understand he wasn't performing up to task and missed some tackles at times, but it seems odd that he went from the best option to the third slash fourth option slash special teamer. Was there something else going on? It just didn't match what I saw on the field when he played well. I thought he played really well. He was just inconsistent like all the rest of the secondary. Well, I mean, first of all, there, there was an injury there. He did He did miss the Big Ten Championship game due to injury, so I think – that did play a, a part in it. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I could say that I think Marcus Hooker played really well last year. I mean, I, I just don't think I could go there. Um, I, I think he played fine at times. I think there were also times that he struggled. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, I don't think Josh Proctor was great either. I think he was, he was inconsistent there too. But I, I do think that he played better than Marcus Hooker when he took over that role. Uh, down the end of the season, you know, I, as far as I know, I don't think there was something else going on, you know, disciplinary or anything like that. I, I think it was just a matter of, you know, they realized they had to try something new there uh, because he, he wasn't playing, you know, as well as they needed him to on the back end. I mean, it didn't fix things against Alabama, but 
they, they at least tried something. And, you know, I think, you know, Leif and ransom as well, being a guy who, you know, really, you know, stepped up and, and got into that top five in, in the defensive back rotation. Uh, I think that played a part in him, you know, dropping from, you know, not just being, you know, the top guy, you know, cause, cause basically Leif and ransom took over the role that Josh Proctor was playing there late in the year. So I think that was a big reason why hooker went from starting to not playing at all. But I think, you know, going into 2021, I, I think Marcus hooker is going to have to, you know, show a lot more consistency if he's going to get back to the point where he's starting or playing a lot on a regular basis. Yeah. The, I think the issue with him is, you know, I thought he was, I thought he was solid at times, but the issue with him is like when it went poorly, it was really bad and like it was game changing bad. And, and that, that was the issue. I was a little bit surprised I didn't throw him in there really at all down the stretch. Um, and, and obviously, like you said, he, he did have the injury, but um, you know, he was warming up before games and then, you know, I thought it was also notable. He was, warm- he played on special teams too. Yeah. And he was, he was warming up before games, not at the deep safety spot, but in Josh Proctor's old position. Um, so I think I, you know, yes, he was inconsistent like all the rest of the secondary, but to me, like those, those, those bad moments were worse than anybody else's. And that, that to me is, is why he fell so far. we got a couple basketball questions this week, which, uh, you know, we probably will start talking a little bit more about basketball here over the next couple months if if Ohio State keeps up what it's doing right now because Ohio State is ranked number seven in the country right now, has a huge game coming up on Thursday night against number eight, Iowa. But to get to your questions, Silver Sniper asked, what kind of potential do you see in the men's basketball? Call your best shot now for how far they make it in the tournament. Colin, you're a basketball beat writer, so I'm going to put you on the spot first with this one. Yeah, I've you know made a lot of dumb predictions in my day, but but buying into this team and saying I really think that this team's going to be a lot better than people think was was one of my one of my good ones. And to be honest, it was it was a little buying into the fact that I thought that Ohio State, I thought Ohio State knew what it had to do. I thought Ohio State really bought into the fact that it had to get better during the season, that that there were going to be some hiccups, that there were going to be some injuries that they had to overcome, and they just had to continue to get better. And it felt like that there was really good team chemistry even early in the in the season, before the season. Um, I think that gave me some optimism about how this thing will go. Um, even still, I don't really think that I thought they were going to be the number seven team as, as in the country as, as February began. And a lot of that is due to the fact they have some really big wins. And I think that, you know, number one and number two are these recent ones against Illinois and Wisconsin. And if you do wonder, like, what would have happened if they didn't lose by two to Purdue or they didn't lose by one Northwestern? Like, this is this would be a top five team in the country. And you can't play the what-if game, but, like, those are games that they led in the last two minutes. Um, they were absolutely winnable games. And, and you know, also – you know, I think that this team can go to the elite, the elite eight. Like, I, I think that that's what this team can do. Um, now, I think there are some por- important caveats there. And one is, like, they have to continue to get better. Like, I don't think that this is the eighth most talented team in the country as we sit here today. The thing that's defined this team is the ability to get better during the season. Um, and that, to me, was evident, you know, a month ago. Um, you know, Chris Holtman I asked him if they were a work in progress in early December. And I swear ever since then, he's just used it in every single press conference. And, and that to me is what has defined them. And, you know, EJ Liddell has to continue this turn into 
pretty much a star. I think Justice Sewing has gotten a lot more comfortable with his role and, and what the Big Ten is. Uh, CJ Walker has to get healthier. Uh, Seth Towns, whatever, however much healthier he can get, um, is important. I think you know guys like Eugene Brown and, and Zed Key just continuing to 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 understand what their roles are and to to get better in them as as true freshmen are important. Like Justin Arms, like he has come in and. and set the world on fire when it comes to his outside shooting. I mean, his numbers are absolutely nuts shooting 50% from three. I just, I think that this team is, it's trending in the right way. The one thing I would say is like they play Iowa, Michigan, Iowa again, and Illinois on the stretch. There's some tough ones. They have, they have eight games left. Those are four of them. And even the other four, it's, Maryland, it's Indiana, it's Penn State, it's Michigan State. Like none of those are, are cakewalks. Um, even the Michigan State game, like that'll be on the road um, against a team that will not be coming off a, a COVID layoff. So, you know, I I I, I would say Elite Eight, but I'm also the person who's been really optimistic about this team. Like I think a lot of it's matchup based as well. When you think about the fact that they don't have a big center, um, and also. The fact we don't really know what this team's going to look like in, in a month and a half. Like we know what it looks like right now, but you know this team doesn't really look like what it looked like in mid December. So um, a lot of this is just how how does this thing develop over the next month and a half? Yeah, to me, you know, my conservative projection right now would be Sweet Sixteen, and my confident projection right now would be Elite Eight. You know, I think I think I think they've got to get to the second weekend. That's got to be the expectation now. Chris Holtman hasn't done that yet. At Ohio State, this team is now showing that it has the capability to do that. So that's got to be the expectation that this team has got to get to the second weekend. Anything less than that would be a big disappointment at this point. But I, I think Elite Eight is well is well within the realm of possibility right now. I'm I'm buying into this team as well right now the way they've been playing recently. You know, I think Final Four is a stretch. I don't, you know, they, they don't rule it out. Any, yeah, anything yeah. can happen, but I'm not going to pick that. I, I'm not going to pick that. I, I think that would be a stretch, but. You know, I think Elite Eight is is well within this team's uh, realm of possibility. I I I can't say that I'd be like confident betting on that. Um, you know, there's still a part of me that thinks like you look at the talent of his team, like maybe Sweet Sixteen is is more realistic. But I'll save a I'll save you know a confident projection here as Elite Eight. I'm not I'm not gonna put that past this team. I I do think they can get there. And if they do get there, that would be a, a huge step in the right direction for this Ohio State basketball program. Yeah, they are they are legitimately good. Um, next question, Zeke Tolliver asks, is, this, is the depth of the Big Ten men's basketball conference as strong as it's made out to be by national pundits? Which I think is a, is a solid question because you hear it all the time. And sitting on every single one of Chris Holtman's zooms, you hear it even more often because he likes to, he likes to mention that every time that the big 10 comes up uh, as, as a wins a win in the 10, right? Listen, Caleb Wesson said it must be true. Um, but to answer the question, like, I think you have to, you have to separate, you have to separate best and deepest because if you just look at the, the top line talent, you know, I think Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio State have really good teams, but it's not like this is a historically great at, uh, great at the top end conference. I think that the thing that makes this conference so impressive is its depth, and I don't think that's necessarily much different from last year. Um, I just I, I wrote this down before the show because I was interested in it myself. But you know, if we look at just Ken Palm's ratings, right? Uh, which is the the college basketball analytics site that that everybody, including you know Chris Holman, refers to it all the time. Um, 
Why the, the Big Ten has 11 teams among the top 43 in Ken Palm, and the only ones outside it are Michigan State, Northwestern, and Nebraska. And if you were to look at the other conferences, so Ohio State has 11 in the top 43. The, 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 the other conferences, the Big 12 has seven in the top 50. The ACC has seven in the top 50. The Pac-12 has six in the top 50. The SEC has six in the top 50. It's just different. I mean, even if you look at uh, what the Big Ten was. So I looked in, in Chris Holman's first year. So I think that the top level of the Big Ten is maybe not a lot different. Like there were five teams in the top 20 back then. There are five teams in the top 20 right now. Um, but if you look at the top 50, there are only six teams in the top 50. I think that that's, that's maybe where the biggest difference is between the Big Ten right now, the Big Ten in the past, and the other conferences is there are not a lot of off nights in this conference. There's not a lot of gimme wins. Like somehow Michigan state is a gimme win. And when Michigan state's a gimme win, you know, something's weird. Yeah. I think the depth is as strong as it's being hyped up to be by national opponents. Cause like I said, I mean, I think you look across the conference. I mean, you've got one really bad team in Nebraska, but other than that, I mean, you just got, you know, you, you know, anything can happen on any night in this conference. I mean, you, you, you know, any team can beat you. And, you know, I think it's like you said, I mean, it's one of those conferences well, I think what makes it so intriguing to watch is there's not one buzzsaw team in this conference where you just expect to win every single game it's going to play. So you've got all these different teams that can beat each other and you just get a lot of competitive basketball games night in and night out in the conference. So I think it's really strong. All right. We have one more question from Daniel. What are your best go-to snacks for the Super Bowl? Defend your answers. I'm a, I'm a pizza or wings guy. Like, I don't know. Like I've always, for whatever reason, I've always liked pizza as a uh, food for a big game, you know, whether it's, you know, football or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Like I've always been a big pizza guy for a uh, big sports, but, but I also, you know, I'm also a, a, a chicken wings guy too. Like I think those two, you know, you, you, I usually want one of those two if I'm watching a big sports game, like those are the two, those are the two big snacks for me at the top of my list. How about you Colin? I mean, pizza is just like, a, like, it's not a it's not a game food to me. It's like literally any time if you feed me pizza, I will be perfectly fine with it. So yeah, I think pizza. I mean, who's ever going to turn down pizza? If you're turning down pizza, you're a psychopath. Um, <laughs> I don't really have any great answers. Like my, I don't have anything that you know. When I think about Super Bowl, I think of this food. Like I think that my number one thing. I would, I want to make sure that I leave in a in a carb coma. I want to make sure I leave uncomfortably full. I think that's my number one thing. And that means probably a lot of chips with dip. And I'm not a big sliders person, but when it comes to the Super Bowl, for some reason, like that feels like break out the sliders. Like give me some sliders. I want the sliders. Like, I don't know why when it comes to the Super Bowl, but I will eat all the sliders and I just want to make sure I'm in a carb coma when I leave. There was one other question. We were asked by Ziploc007, what is the best thing about the football offseason that we don't realize? Do you have an answer for that one, Colin? Oh, it's so easy. It's that everybody's happy and that you got to be optimistic and it, you got to predict great things like Travion Henderson's and that's J.K. Dobbins. And you get to look at this defense and you're thinking, oh, man, look at all these five stars, four stars. Like things are going to go so well. And then when you only win by 28 points in week one, you're so pissed off. And like the, the, that's the great part of the offseason is you can convince yourself of everything and anything can make you happy. And then once games start, you're just going to find inevitably find a way to get angry and that's that that's the case in all sports but specifically when it comes to Ohio State football 
That's a fantastic answer. I, I don't think I can top that. That's a that's a fantastic answer because it's it's so true. Like as soon as the season starts, like it's like nothing is in a. I think it's true of all fan bases, but you definitely notice it in the Ohio State fan base, and especially of football, because of how high the expectations are. But it's once the season starts, like nothing is ever good enough. Like it's always like nitpicking all the flaws. But in the off season, like if you dare to say that Ohio state might not win the national championship or that like Ohio state might not be good enough to beat Alabama. It's like, you're, you're a hater. Like how could you not believe that this team full of four and five star recruits, isn't just going to be a buzzsaw that runs over everybody. So uh, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good answer. It's so true. Yeah. It's everybody's happy. Everybody's going to be really great. And you know, things are going to be perfect, which is like, Obviously not the case, but that's what the off season is where for nine months a year, that is, that's reality. Everything's perfect. I do think there's a little bit more hesitancy with some fans this year, particularly yes, the about the uh, <laughs> defense, defensive yes. side of a ball. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know that everybody thinks everything's perfect, but I do think it's a very good point, but I think optimism is usually the name of a game in the off season. And then once the season starts, uh, things tend to trend the other way yes but uh we'll we'll try to keep giving you that optimism here uh for the next seven months uh you know we, we try to be realists here on real pod wednesdays but uh you know we we'll try to uh we'll try to reflect both sides of a coin here on this podcast as we keep going this off season so uh thanks again for listening in to this week's episode and we'll talk to you again next week